Welcome to Feeding the Movement, a podcast by the Network for Edward. The Network for Edward is TAF's team that supports the retention and development of teachers and leaders of color. We want and work to ensure that teachers and educational leaders of color come into and stay in the work of liberation for self and our education system. Every other month, we make a space that allows us to share more about the network and our aspirations and to have a way for the Network for Edward community to connect. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Radell, and I am joined by David Goldencrans and Sara Kamal, and we are the Network for Edward. So what are we getting into this go around with the podcast? Uh, the main theme for today is how do you grow in healing to prosper? So today we'll talk a little bit about emotionally feeding your heart, moving on from grief and darkness that really was this winter of 2020 in general. And how do we take those lessons of the trauma and carry them with us in a way that allows us to thrive and find joy. Um, and also like spring is here. The, the dip is over. Uh, spring is a season for pruning out the seed, the things that didn't serve us in our own growth. So we're talking a lot about rejuvenation and what does that mean? And is it actually the same thing as rest? But before we dive into our main questions for today, we are so lucky uh, about who is on the pod today. We have our first official Network for Edward Feeding the Movement guest today. So exciting. Our guest today is Kathy McCoy, who will introduce herself a little bit later. And we also have our brand new shiny member of the Network for Edward team, our new ally engagement program manager, David Goldencrantz. And stay tuned for after. We have a fun Q&A with our newest team member to get to know him a little bit better. Um, so my introductory question for everyone today is, tell us your name how you serve the work of racial justice, AKA what is your role? Um, and then what is the thing that you did recently that filled your cup? And so my name is Sara Kamal. And when I explain what my job is to people who don't work in higher education, I usually say that I am a kind of teacher trainer for supporting BIPOC educators in anti-racist practices and behaviors. And a thing that I did recently that filled my cup was I went down to the water and laid out in the sunshine this last weekend and absorbed all of the healing rays that I could with set SPF like 30, <laughs> so safely. Okay, who's next? Now I'll toss it here. Caught it. Nailed it. <laughs> okay, so I, uh, because I, uh, do the work of racial justice in a lot of different ways because it's just a part of who I am. Um, as, as you know, Sara, my mm -hmm. role in the work of racial justice is to be an agitator, which yeah. is to help people like shake them up, make them feel a little bit uncomfortable and shake the dirt of racism off of them. Um, and so I do that in a lot of ways through my role here at TAF and working with teachers and leaders. I work with teacher candidates. I work with administrators um, and some other leaders in education uh, in nonprofits. So in a variety of ways, because it just, it is who I am everywhere I go. I can start a conversation with somebody on the street about it. Here we go. Um, and something I did recently that filled my cup was I slept more than um, six hours this weekend. Yes. Both nights. Yes, rest as resistance. I appreciate that a lot for you. 
<laughs> All right. How about our wonderful guest today, Kathy? Hey, I'm excited to be here. Um, I love the vibe already. It feels healing to me um, as we speak. So my name is Kathy McCoy and I um, am a healing activist is what I call myself. And what I do is a lot like um, what Dr. Radell was saying is agitate, but what I do is interrupt generational cycles of trauma in black women um, by all means necessary <laughs> and really provide support for them in a way that they can be seen and heard and loved and have access. I believe everyone should have access to healing that fits their needs. <laughs> so I like to heal in all kinds of different modalities, especially for black women to allow them to have access to joy, <laughs> which is really to me what healing is. Um, and what I did this weekend to nourish my body, to nourish my soul, my body and soul was mm -hmm. to swim. I went swimming two days, um, Saturday and Sunday with my twin sister and a dear friend. Yes. <laughs> and it feels so good. So yes, I love to swim. Yes, the water is such a great force in the earth. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And our next person. Um, Dr. Adele, I hope you were saying that you slept for more than six hours cumulatively over the weekend that you were talking about, you know, a night. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> just make, making sure, wanted to confirm that. Um, I'm, I'm David Goldenkranz. Uh, I am the Ally Engagement Program Manager. Um, see, how do I serve this work? Well, the title of my role, the Ally Engagement Program Manager, um, my job is to really work with and have those uncomfortable conversations with white folks about, um, let me just use the word, our complicit role in this. Well, I would like to call myself a, you know, accomplice. That's not something I get to call myself. That's something that's given to me. That's, that's, that's something that is, you know, that, that is an honor to even if, if I was to be recognized as that. So I want to think of myself as an accomplice in this work, but that's something that I have to prove and earn and show every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and I write about so racial justice. I talk about social justice. I, I'm just, I don't know. It, it's just kind of in what I do. Um, let's see, thing I did that helped build my cup. Uh, I went and got like really good gelato this weekend. I don't know if that was good for my caloric cup, but like soul wise, <laughs> I think it was good. I like it because ice cream fills in all the gaps in your stomach where the food didn't quite like fit into the pieces, you know, it just solidifies all the crevices. So yes, it's, yes. It's like making your body like structurally sound is how I conceptualize it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think we could get into the main portion of today. Um, we have some kind of guiding questions to kind of facilitate the conversation. Um, with our guests today, um, but our, and so we're, you know, we're talking about rejuvenation and making sure that as we continue on the process, we're calling in joy and we're calling in those aspects that are going to allow us to sustain and thrive in the work um, as we head into spring and all that that holds. So our, my broad question kind of for everybody is, what are you looking forward to starting, growing, or doing this spring? Basically, what are you calling into your life as we transition from winter into spring? And since I asked the question, I will answer it first. Um, but for me, I think the thing that I am calling in and wanting to grow more in is a sense of ease in my life. And I feel like 
we are part of a culture in capitalism and white dominant culture that always perpetuates grind, hustle, do all, sacrifice all to the point of complete exhaustion and like me lying on the floor completely spent after a day. Um, that is not sustainable for my physical health or my mental well-being. So calling in a sense of ease with how I can manage my work and my life um, is what I'm really looking forward to in the summer. And as there's more daylight hours, the opportunities for that also expound. Um, but that's me. But I'll toss the question to somebody else. <laughs> I would love to hear from our guests next. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wish it was as easy as ease <laughs> that I'm calling in. But what I'm calling in is consent, believe that or not, as I sit here and dwell on what consent has been a really great healing tool for me. And what I mean by that is boundaries and mm -hmm. asking, asking for what I need is the first thing, asking for what I need. So I'm calling in this strength, this fortitude, of worthiness so that I can ask for what I need instead of going the flow, going in the flow of what others need. And often I can find myself just attaching to what other people are doing and not saying, well, I don't wanna go this long or I wanna leave early or I don't wanna drive that far, come get me later or all those different things. Um, so I'm using it for, so I'm welcoming in this ability to ask for what I need, knowing that I'm worthy of it. Um, and also practicing it in a way that I'm asking people before I give advice, before I, you know, railroad over what I need and not ask them what they need. So consent has been really healing in this season for me of <clears throat> giving only what I'm asked to give and asking for what I need, which has really keeping me in a place of peace and joy. So, yes. I love that. Kathy, I just have, how do you, how do you check in? Like, for example, like I have the same tendency to like wanting to like rush in with advice really quickly. How do you check yourself in the moment when you feel the urge to do it? Are there specific questions that you have in mind that you know to like start with or like a process that you go through? I, that's a great question. And one of the first things that I do, and I'll give you this tool is I cover myself because I'm an empath. And so those of you out there listening that are empaths, often when we hear stories, we take it in and we're ready to be empathetic and we're ready to share our side, our story, our advice. And so I usually hold my stomach. Like I get a pillow if I'm on the phone with someone, I hold my stomach, which allows me to hold my voice in a way. Like to really like, Kathy, just listen mm -hmm. and breathe. And I breathe through it. And just what you had asked about questions, I asking questions in my head around, and I usually use phrases like this. Um, may I suggest, mm -hmm. are you open to hearing my opinion? Mm -hmm. Those yeah. things are what I usually say. Um, cause I'm usually, cause I'm a coach, I'm usually ready just to go coaching, but they didn't hire me often, right? They're <laughs> often my friends and family. Right. <laughs> They didn't hire me. So in order for me to keep, because I have a tendency to take on. And so I take on people's problems, right? And I'm fixing it all while they're gone, living their life. I'm home fixing their problem in my mind. And so that's what I'm trying to get away from because yeah. it keeps me from being present in my, in my life. 
Um, and so usually just saying, can I suggest, are you open to advice? Mm -hmm. Do you want to just vent? Are you just telling me this? How would you like me to support you? I love that. I, I, I love that so much. I never thought of like physically protecting your body as well from that energy that you, that people give off and emanate when they're in crises or they need to speak about or speak on something to feel seen. I'm going to, I'm going to maybe borrow that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think really what I would leave you here also is learning to, and this is what I'm practicing in my healing practice is tending to people's needs. And like, what if you just tended to them and not gave advice? I'm sorry that's going, oh my God, I can't believe you're going through that. What, you know, what can I give you right now that would make you feel better? And not being the, um, and just what you said, white supremacy and all of that has had me in my, I have to know everything, I have to do everything. And often people just want you to listen and hold them. That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, so care <laughs> first. Yeah, we're hugging ourselves for those yes. who can visually see us. <laughs> yes, that's right. I can, uh, I'll, I'll dovetail off that. Um, but yeah, my, mine was in, in line with that uh, as far as just really letting go and turning it over. You know, I think it's, it's a big thing for me is constantly wanting to fix, manage, control, and just think that I can change and influence the outcome of every little thing. Um, and the, the, the brief metaphor I'll use is my garden. You know, I live for my garden. And every time I go out there, all I see is the weeds. All I see are the things that aren't growing the way I want them to grow. And I have a hard time sometimes just saying, look, like other people come, they see the flowers, they see the beauty. I see all the things that need to be fixed and changed. And the reality is like, it's a garden. It's going to do what it's going to do. Mm. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's my life. Like I, I can plant the seeds, but ultimately I don't get to, you know, I don't get to determine what the plant ultimately becomes. And, and that's a hard thing for me is just constantly wanting to be, you know, make, making the outcome or trying to not actually, but trying to make the outcome something. And that, that is certainly rooted in that white supremacy mindset of just really trying to be able to fix, manage and control. Mm. Fix, manage and control. Yeah. Those are like the three main words I would associate with it for These sure. Are definitions of white supremacy, right? <laughs> Right there, right there, right there. Right there. You look it up in the dictionary, it's just right there. <laughs> like fix, manage, control. The fix thing, too, being key, right? Because that's all interpretive of what it means to fix something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, what in your mind is meant to be, which is not what it is or can be at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Dr. Raydell, do you have thoughts? I always have thoughts. I know. Um, <laughs> I, so, well, if you've been uh, coming to our encounters and seminars throughout the year, you know that our focus has been the year of intention. And in our um, second series of programming this year, we had uh, participants think about um, what they wanted their intention to be for the year. Um, and I said and shared that I wanted it to be around rest. Um, and being intentional about how I create space to rest and similar to um, what you said, Kathy, about setting boundaries around things um, and what I give my time and energy to. And um, as I, we, we get close to the end of this year and starting to reflect on how I've done around that, I haven't done the best job of resting. Um, and so I'm continuing to try to, to call in rest 
Um, and I think that this idea, when I mentioned earlier around my role being an agitator, helps me think about rest because it, and again, similar to what Kathy and David just said, it helps me think about what are the things that I need to like tend to, but not try to fix, manage, or control. Um, and so when I think about being an agitator, it means sometimes, yep, I just got to say that one thing that sets somebody's mind rolling and then I can walk away. Like I don't have to sit and like hold their hand through the entire uh, journey of processing um, what it is that I give to them. Uh, and so as I just grasp more tightly to that identity as being an agitator in the work of racial justice, that's helping me think about rest and as um, I get asked or invited to um, do things, um, it is becoming easier for me to say no. Um, and I am really looking forward to, um, you know, the next couple of weeks when I'll be in a whole nother country. Um, <laughs> and I think it'll just be a lot easier to rest because I won't be around the hustle and bustle of, um, of all things that are that are life here right now. So um, as much as I, I think I set my goal to be around rest and feel like I haven't quite gotten there yet, um, I feel like um, I have set up um, opportunities in the coming months to make sure that rest is possible. Mm. Yeah, I will also say though, as a supervisor, because you're technically my boss, like you set a very good precedent for mm -hmm. understanding how we, as the people you work with and you support, should prioritize our own well-being. Um, so I am very grateful that in my understanding of how I go about rejuvenation, I know that the person who's like helping and supporting me also has that in consideration. Um, so it's very nice. That's all I yeah, say. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. We're talking, I think with the analogy that you were talking about, David, with like the pruning of the garden and things like that, that is like, part of how we heal like what it is when we're on our journey like learning how and when to do those things so my next question is what are the things that you are healing for yourself as you travel on the journey of liberation but I kind of want to hear from Kathy first <laughs> mm, that's it's a, such a great question and as soon as you read it the first thing that came to me was I'm healing the perception of myself that I'm not worthy like mm. I'm healing because what I want and what I teach is that if we had this truth that I am worthy as my baseline and everything grew from there how beautiful that would be mm. and and so as I heal I keep telling myself I'm worthy of boundaries I'm worthy to have great friends juicy relationships I'm worthy <laughs> to have rest I'm worthy to ask for help I'm worthy um, of, you know, relationships that turn me on and flip me upside down. Like I'm worthy yeah. of joy and laughter. I'm worthy of food that turns me on all my taste buds. Like, mm -hmm. um, and I am not choosing suffering. So the opposite of that is I'm no longer choosing suffering, oh which God. means I'm accessing joy. And so every time my healing tool is to sit and say, Kathy, why are you choosing suffering here? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Joy is accessible. Go get it, you know? And so that's been the game changer is I'm worthy. Mm -hmm. And so in that, that means joy is mine and mm -hmm. I can access it at any time. 
Yeah, that that mental switch um, is so important, I think. But I really, I also just appreciate the word choice of Joycey choose, uh, choosing juicy moments in life as opposed to those struggling types of moments in life as the default for ourselves. I was thinking kind of similarly around like the healing part when I was thinking when we examined like characteristics of white supremacy culture in our programming throughout the year and like what were the things that I wanted to do in my year of intention and that perfectionism standard is so so high and like doing it alone um, and in isolation um, was something that I wanted to heal as well. So reminding myself that I'm a human, first of all. And so like my capacity for learning also includes like making a mistake or allowing myself to make mistakes in the process. So I would say not adhering to a very unrealistic perfectionistic standpoint of how I go about doing the work which doesn't even honor who I am on my racial journey either. So taking all those things into consideration as I heal and move forward. And then I'm also going to pull a little bit of juicy life moments now too. Yeah. Juicy. Juicy. It's such a good way to describe it. <laughs> yes. Um, when I, when, when I initially thought about this question, I thought about something completely differently. But when you reread it just now, it made me think about how, um, I, I think over the last several years, I have been on a journey to healing the little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because we have worked on that so much that like, she's kind of good right now. And I feel like I'm healing like, the teenage Raydell now, right? So like little girl Raydell went through some traumatic experiences and <clears throat> it wasn't until I started working on my dissertation in grad school when I started to really dig into those and it brought up a lot of stuff. And so I lived in that pain for a long time and tried to reconcile that for a long time. And now I feel like I'm in a place where she's she's good, she's okay. Like I've talked to her enough a lot and we've, we've grown up a little bit, but I feel like now there's like a, another stage of, of my maturity and self that now I'm starting to tap into um, and work with and talk to. And, you know, hopefully maybe one day we'll get all the way up to 35 year old Raydell and she's going to be good. But um, I, it, when you would ask that question um, live, that that's actually what popped into my mind. And I kind of got excited because I was like, for a long time, it was about that little girl, but I feel like she's good now. She's good. She's doing okay. And so now we're, we're in the next stage of, of that, that healing. I love that. I love the visual of that so much. Like you are healing like those past periods of yourself in the hope that the healing always meets the present moment. Like that's what liberation is. Oh, I love that so much. That's so good. David, did you, are you on a journey of healing that you want to share? I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to put in plugs for books here, but uh, I will just say my grandmother's hands, racialized trauma and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies <laughs> by Risa Medicum. I hope that's how you say his name. Uh, that has been my healing journey for a while here. And I'm going to be 100% honest and call myself out. That is not a fast read for me. Um, I, I th- That book has been something where I will start it. I mean, he has me going through exercises, digging up trauma, looking through what my ancestors carried and brought to America and how they spewed that on other folks and what that created. 
Um, so, you know, when I'm not bawling my eyes out or sitting there, you know, with like chills, I, I will typically try to read something maybe more lighthearted, like Ijo Malau's, you know, mediocre, the dangerous legacy of white male America, you know, <laughs> no, but it, it really, for me, it is about trying to heal a lot of the fear light reading. Yeah. yeah just light. <laughs> just light. <laughs> That's hurtful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very light reading. No, it, it's really, for me, just about trying to heal, um, for, for me personally, I believe, I believe that it is the trauma that, you know, white folks carry that in many ways is responsible for so much of the damage that we're seeing in the world around us is it's just unresolved trauma of generation after generation after generation. So just like an alcoholic family or an addictive family, I see it as it has reached a point where I can make that decision individually that I can put it in remission. It don't cure it, but I can, I can be that stop of that cycle in my family. And in this case, it's like working to be one of those folks that's putting a stop to it. So I'm not continuing to just spew that trauma on the rest of the world. I really appreciate that because, right, these conversations have been Sarah and I mm-hmm. up until this point, right? And we both identify as women of color. And then we have Kathy, who is a woman of color, right? And then we have this white male perspective. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard anyone say that before. And I think that that um, is really important for um, both the, the people of color and the white folks who listen in to hear that, that white folks have healing that they need to do too. And it looks differently and it's for different reasons and comes from a different perspective, but there is healing that needs to happen there as well. So thank you. Yes, very much so. I can't remember how um, Jamad had phrased um, that particular definition of like culture, but it is, a, a, and so when you think about white supremacist culture and white dominant culture, culture is the thing that's always doing its utmost to survive at any means necessary. So when we're on this path towards liberation and healing ourselves completely from the inside and putting that light force out into the world, there are things that try to like hold us back and keep us from attaining that goal. So how do we go about taking out those things that are gonna keep holding us uh, from getting to our goal of liberation? So my question for Kathy is, how do you how do you go about pruning out the things that aren't in service of your growth when you are on the path to healing? How do you recognize it? How do you become aware of it? And then how do you take those steps to kind of call other things into its place? Great question. Um, one thing that I do is my work is evidence-based, <laughs> which I mean, I often tell women that I support, what evidence do you have in your life that this is working, mm. that this is working, right, or not working? Um, so the first thing I would say is I would just take out the evidence. And I'm a very keen observer. And I tell people all the time that God is math and that healing comes through math. It's like subtraction, adding like this and this will equal that. So if you take this out and add a little bit of this, you can get that. Um, <laughs> because I'm a math person I, and, and I see math, I see problems and I see ways to solve them and, and solve for X. And so in this equation for me is to look at the evidence and say, what isn't working? If I really, my intention is, for instance, my intention is to raise my credit score. That's one of my intentions right now. Mm -hmm. And so I have to look at, is my spending habits, are they aligned with that truth, that intention? Are, you know, my um, eating habits, the way I eat, do I eat out, do all these different things? And, And really, because what I try to do is help people be 
more healing centered and then trauma. Trauma centered would say, where's the pain? Where's the issues? Where's the concern? And start there. Where often where even Dr. Ray Dale said, you can get stuck there. Because mm -hmm. when that stuff hits you, you're like, oh my God. So what if we looked at the other side? What's possible on the other side of this pain? Mm -hmm. That's where I like to focus. So what's the evidence of happening now? So the evidence might be relationships. I keep getting into arguments or I can't get into good, healthy relationship. There's some evidence that something might need to be healed. What's on the other side of that? Juicy relationships where I feel seen and heard. Relationships mm -hmm. that are reciprocal, right? So that's where I put my intention, not on the trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's really identifying my intention. What evidence do I have that's aligned with that attention or not aligned? And then what's on the other side of it that I can then see as a possibility and move towards? Because that to me is the fun spot of mm -hmm. being able to say, what does it look like if I want, if I want to have juicy relationships? Okay. It means I need to be more open. It means that I call people more. It means that Ray Dale, who called me, why don't I call her back and see what's up? Like, and, and, and then you'll deal with and heal my avoidance, my ability not to have relationship. You'll heal that as you start seeing what's possible because you'll call in that thing mm -hmm. and you'll experience it. And then you'll say, well, I want more of that. <laughs> so I hope that helps. That does help. And I think for anyone who's listening, like, I think when I think back on my, my own journey a little bit, like before I even was able to get to those steps, I had to be able to even like name the things that were going on in the, in the, the awareness that I was trying to have in the reflective part. So like having outside reading materials, like that helped me to understand, oh, there's a name for all those traumas that have happened before I can even like look at them from a healing or trauma lens, being able to identify what it is and have language to speak about it was I think one of the biggest things for me in my journey towards healing, being able to prune out the things that aren't in service of the growth by being able to have the language to talk about it um, was really helpful. Oh, if I can say something there, just because yeah. I'm gonna say this is this, my fierceness is coming out. <laughs> But the language, the thing about the language is that comes from white supremacy and we don't have access to that language. And mm -hmm. that's what I mean, like, right? Like, so I, language healed the hell out of me when I got the language, you're right. But a lot of us don't have access to the language mm -hmm. and then we fall victim of the language. And mm -hmm. so what I try to do is get us out of our head and into our bodies and say, not what do you know, boo, but what do you feel? Mm -hmm. And what do you want to feel more of? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that totally reminds me. I was having a conversation with Dr. Radell and she asked me like what was happening or something. I was explaining the situation and I was explaining it in a very passive way. And she was like, no, but how do you feel about that thing? And like calling attention to that as opposed to the standard of like, this is explaining the context of it without any kind of emotion or passion or empathy toward it as all and very clinical. And that was the first time someone had really asked it that way of me. And I was so appreciative of it because I hadn't even taken the chance to consider it. And from there, I was able to take intentional steps because the feeling wasn't good and move away from it. So yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It sounds like you lived in a culture that's preached the, uh, the, uh, 
adage of you know objectivity is key right like that's the superior form of analysis this is as long as we don't have feelings about it somehow i don't know where that comes from you know maybe maybe some of my people carried that the message in maybe a little bit rooted in some science maybe <laughs> Well, Kathy, we were hoping to ask you to kind of, while we're talking about rejuvenation and kind of thinking about healing, a lot of people are like, okay, well, what does that look like? <laughs> um, so we were hoping that you could maybe share an exercise and we could do it with you today um, so that, you know, people have something to maybe take away and try on their own, or it'll spark something else for them. Um, but we're more than happy and welcoming that wisdom that you yes. want to share. Yeah. So um, the exercise that I want to share is called CARE, C-A-R-E. And mm-hmm. I often give this tool to help us care for others because I'm always trying to say care for others because often in trauma, we weren't cared for and our needs weren't tended to. And so that's another healing, just care and tend to people, which seems pretty simple, but often we've been taught to problem solve or um, abandon people in pain. <laughs> so Um, how do we not do that? And how do we come and care? Um, And so what I want to teach us today, one, care stands for C is check in with the person. That's the C. A is ask questions. Um, And then R is reassure them you're there. And E is empathize. Mm -hmm. And so I want us to share this, practice this tool for ourselves. So to instead of using it on someone else to care for ourselves in this moment. Okay, so what we'll do Mm. is I'll just walk us through, we'll hold our hand over our heart. So if you could put your right hand over your heart and both, I usually do both. And I just, this alone with some breathing is caring to yourself in this moment. But what I want Mm. us to do is just breathe in a couple of breaths, inhale, Exhale. We're gonna inhale. And then we're gonna exhale. Now we're gonna check in with ourselves. You may just checking in is this holding your heart, feeling it, tending to it how it just feels, get comfortable feeling it in your hand beating or, and now let's ask ourselves, what do we need in this moment? Inhale. Exhale. Reassure yourself that you're present. You're here in your body. You're safe, you're worthy. What do you need to breathe in, breathe out? Then you can empathize with yourself. I'm sorry, they didn't hear you that time. Sorry, you didn't feel seen. Sorry you couldn't express yourself. Then let's ask ourselves again, what do you need right now? 
And we'll just come back to ourselves, open our eyes, declose them, come back. Now, if you heard something and you want to share it, you can do so. What I heard, what I needed in this moment was to get outside and walk. Did anybody hear anything? Um, yes, I heard uh, about uh, boundaries, boundaries with family that need to be maintained. They've been started, but they need to be maintained because I was recognizing that they were doing me good. <laughs> and that was what I needed more of. Yeah. I heard have grace with others and with self. Wonderful. I heard you don't need to prove yourself. Beautiful. And so I teach people that you can hear, you can get help, it's accessible, it's in your body. And often we run to other people or we think it takes a lot of time or we just don't think a question, an answer could come. Um, and what I say is in the moment where you're feeling stressed or something happened or you're feeling triggered or you need support, stop and care for yourself in that moment. Close your door, whatever, and hold yourself and just begin to care. And um, the healing tool, the healing thing will come through mm -hmm. and trust it and trust it which is trusting yourself, right? It is, yes. You have to be able to hold yourself in that way. I appreciate that, mm -hmm. that imagery of holding ourselves in the space that we need. Yeah, and it's really saying, remember I said what's possible, often this never happened to us. And if I dwelled on my mother didn't give it to me, my dad, my friends, no one gave this to me, I may never get it. But what if I gave it to myself mm -hmm. first? multi-level healing in that exercise. Thank you so much, Kathy. <laughs> You're welcome so much. It's also making me think about uh, just being present. And mm -hmm. Sarah and I, and a lot in all of our meetings, and this is mostly driven by my brain, um, like take copious notes and organize documents. And it's helpful to be able to come back to you when, when we're planning and preparing for things. Oh, there you go, passion planner, I see you. <laughs> Um, and, but I'm also just thinking about there, there are, I can recall in this exercise, like helped me do that, but I can recall moments where I didn't write something down. It wasn't the most organized and it came up so beautifully in the moment because I had the space to be able to do that. And how can we, um, with all of the things that we are tasked with and called to do, um, how can we still, you know, maintain that strong, the quality of what we do and being able to stay organized and things, but still have the space to like be like that in the moment and let um, ideas and things like germinate together in the moment because it's such a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, and so I'm just I'm just thinking about that, and I was was processing that, and just feeling very present in myself, and thinking about how much I love when those idea ideas come in those moments, but they're few and far between because of the structures and systems mm -hmm. that are. It almost feels like are forced to be in place because mm -hmm. that's how white supremacy culture works. Yeah. That was such, I feel so grounded and connected to Thank you so much. Mondays are especially in work from home and in pandemic are especially hard for me. And like, 
I am so going to cherish this little exercise and kind of incorporate go incorporate it into like a morning routine mm. of just like pausing before the onslaught of email your phone and and maybe even my coffee I don't know if that step will happen but um just checking in with yourself and really seeing what it is that you need and knowing and trusting that I have the answers to find it myself I appreciate it so much mm-hmm. Thank you. So we've been talking a lot about healing, rejuvenation in our heart and in our spirit. Um, But we also want to talk a little bit about our actual bodies. They're the thing that carry us to do the work physically. Um, So when it comes to what we put into our bodies and nourish us, my question for the guests today is, What is or are foods from your culture that have healing or health benefiting properties that are also the most scrumptious? And so I will model. (laughs) So this is Sara's Ode and from Persian culture to yogurt. (laughs) Um, It puts all of the good bacteria back into your gut. It tastes delicious on its own as a side dish in Persian culture called most, which is akin to and adjacent to a tzatziki sauce, which is a little bit more popularized, or as a tool to enhance flavors. I would say marinating chicken in yogurt and lime juice and garlic is like the best way to prepare your chicken to stay juicy and delicious, especially when you're just gonna throw it on the barbecue afterward and get those lovely char marks. Um, but it is a food that, um, is good for you and just tastes delicious at the same time. So that is my nourishing food that I put into my body daily for the most part <laughs> on everything. She does. I, I do. Love. Well, I would love to go. One of the things when you ask this question, I have like a litany of, of course, but what came to me first as I'm being nostalgic is ginger and lemon. I grew up in my culture. I don't know why this is, how this came to our culture, uh, especially in Seattle. So this is black people in Seattle. This is not, uh, um, uh, you know, in the United States, but somehow we got introduced to taking a lemon, cutting it in half and putting ginger candy in it and sucking on it. And all my uncles did it. All of the uncles in the, in the, freaking community did it and they were sold at stores everywhere in the in the cd like you can go anywhere in the cd in south end and get ginger and lemon and it was something that was just it wasn't we could eat it because it wasn't candy Mm -hmm. and it had such healing properties if you know ginger and all the properties that ginger have of calming your stomach Mm -hmm. which is one of the main reasons I ate it as a kid was to calm my stomach my mom gave it to us to calm our stomach I still eat ginger and lemon religiously I can't find the ginger like we used to we go down to Chinatown now to get it but it Mm -hmm. used to be in all the corner stores Um, and I now make ginger lemon tea and I sip on that every single day of my life. Um, (laughs) it's my healing elixir that I make for clients. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's something that I drink that calms me, that gives me grounding. Um, and that also heals my throat, heals my stomach, Mm -hmm. um, as well as, um, it's not too good for your teeth, the lemon, (laughs) (laughs) But um, if you have a cold or allergies or anything, you put a little honey in there and 
it's it's just everything everything and so um right now i am on this on the look on the search for ginger like because every day of my life you talk to my sister heather we're always on the lookout for ginger so yeah no thank you gotta try it um, I'm going to choose something that comes from, I guess, my culture pre the Americas, but also the culture that I'm going to. Um, that's now a part of my family. Um, so in Ghanaian culture, which is, this is true of a lot of, I think, West African and also Caribbean cultures, but the coconut um, is a staple um, and it is used in a variety of ways. Um, inside and outside of the body. Um, and so you have and it's fresh natural coconuts are very easy to find. Um, you have the juice of the coconut, coconut water, um, which tastes different than like the coconut water that you would get in the, like a, a, the supermarket or the grocery store here. Um, and then you have the meat, the flesh of the coconut, which I don't really like, but it also does not taste like the coconut that you would typically buy in the store here. It doesn't even look like it or feel like it. Um, and then you just have all of the things that you can do with the coconut. You have coconut oil that is really good for your hair, skin, and nails. Um, you can also cook with coconut oil. Um, and it's one of the, the healthier oils to cook with. Um, so yeah, and you can put coconut water and, and make all kinds of drinks and concoctions and things. Um, and it's, it has a lot of uh, healing properties and just, you know, things that are good for your body. So um, yeah, the coconut in so many ways, in so many forms inside and outside of your body. <laughs> Dr. Ado, I should have you talk to my wife. She's a uh, coconut oil is like her gym that that's, you know, her mom used to give her like coconut oil scalp massages growing up. And, like it's, it's big. Like it's all, it's, 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 it's in everything. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think like what, what could make me not sound cliche here, but I'm just going to have to say it as wood fire pizza for me. <laughs> I don't. Yes, I love I, it. I hate to use the term pizza snob because I love a good Domino's pizza every so often. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's the same thing as like, sometimes you want McDonald's, you don't want the gourmet burger, but like the right wood fire pizza, it's just, it, there's something, I don't know if it's, the Italian, you know, my mom's side, but it just, it taps into something deeper for me. It's, it, and it's, it's just, I can't, I can't explain it. It's like, it just, it kind of, it connects me. It grounds me. And I think, you know, the world loves pizza. Don't get me wrong. I get the cliche there, but I don't know. It, I guess it has a different reason or a different purpose or cause for everybody. So for me, there's something very grounding in it. And it really does kind of like, I don't know. Let's just say when I when I went to Italy, that was my that was my purpose. It was a pilgrimage for me. <laughs> I love it. Pizza is the combination of all the best things: bread and cheese and vegetables. <laughs> um, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Now I want pizza, David. Now I want pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, well. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining the pod today. It was a true delight and pleasure to have everybody today. And I can't believe we're at a podcast now where we have guests coming on the program. It's so exciting. Um, it's just like more sparkle that we put out into the world. Um, and it's, I'm so very appreciative.
Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to do something today that feeds you on your journey, but at the very least, make sure that you eat something tasty and tag us on Instagram, feeding your journey. We are N-W-E-W underscore tap. Thanks y'all. Have a great day. Getting to know David. Getting to know you. Yes, Ally Engagement Program Manager. We need to know all about you. This is for the people, David. They want to know. Okay. Okay. Want to know. They want to know. (laughs) Question one, David. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Who is David Coldcrans culturally? They know Ray Dell and I. (laughs) Who are you? All right. Um, culturally, let's see. My mother is Lutheran. My dad is Jewish. So I am Jutheran and or Julu. I guess it depends. <laughs> um, so um, I grew up in a house where we put dreidels on the Christmas tree. You know, we, we would literally make latkes right around Christmas time. So it was always some good infusion of there, but it, it was cultural. You know, wouldn't say it was like super religious, but I, I learned the importance of both in my family is, you know, you can't just like drop the history especially with judaism is it's like there's kind of a there's something that has to be carried on there whether i want to or not like i owe that to my ancestors um let's see i'm scottish english italian irish polish russian and i'm forgetting some swedish did i say swedish Mm. that's like all the white european countries that's That's what we are have you not figured this out like (laughs) white people are mutts we, we all mixed it together and then came over here <laughs> and then became racial purists over here which really doesn't make sense because i'm like right. no on everybody i'm right. not gonna hate on <laughs> all of my ancestors <laughs> yeah so so that that is my i will say ethnicity if you will my culture is rooted in kind of a amalgamation i like to say i'm, I'm just a mutt you know um, but I am white. I'm very much white. And that's something I can't un, unchange. I can't, you know, it's also how other people see me, right? Yes. Yes. That is how you walk through the world for sure. Yeah. yeah. Let us take turns. Yes. Um, so tell us about where you, where are you in, in your journey of anti-racism and understanding your, your racial identity? Oh boy. That's a loaded question. Um, but is if you ask if you ask me where I am versus where others might say I am, right? That's that's what it really comes down to. Um, yeah. You know, well, let's say I'm just turning the corner on the savior complex. You know, just turning the page there. No, it's it's a, it's been a journey. I mean, really, honestly, I I would say that I grew up completely colorblind. I had just racism was a problem out there, right? I grew up, went to super diverse schools, had all friends of color, but I just didn't get it. I didn't see myself in the equation. Mm. Um, And so, you know, as an adult, I really started on this path. I got the typical, I will say, white male, just righteous indignation, resistance. What about my Jewish ancestors? Just went through the whole litany of all the reasons why I was not, you know, a, I'll say, perpetrator, right? Um, So... I think at this point, I'm very much still a learner. Um, I'm still a, again, I don't like to call myself an ally because I feel like that's that's something you earn. Um, I don't think that's something I can just say I am. I think that's shown through my actions and how other people 
you know, are able to see me showing up in the work. Um, I see it as a spectrum of actor, ally, accomplice, co-conspirator. You know, I would like to say I'm, I'm, I'm turning that page to get to the point of accomplice, but again, it's not my, that's not my call to make. Um, but certainly just a lot of self-discovery and right now to speak to the, you know, that, that for me, it is a in, inward journey in many ways, because most of this has to do with confronting myself. It's not about necessarily trying to fix the problem out there. Um, what would you say was like uh, a period of time or a moment or something that happened that took you from seeing racism as a problem that was out there to like, nope, me internally, individually, I got work to do to help take down these systems. Yeah, so I, I call it my uh, my cliche matrix moment. Um, no, right. really. I'm you see, the, dif the difference is that Neo bravely took the red pill. You see, I like fumbled, choked on it, and swallowed it without even knowing it went down. I was just like, oh. oh. <laughs> so um, that was back in 2013, 14, I want to say. Um, I saw a just, I will say, cheesy YouTube video about white male privilege. And it was just literally just laying it out in, in no, you know, unapologetic detail. And, uh, that was where I got that visceral, just guttural body, body reaction. You know, my cheeks went flush. My, my felt that adrenaline, just my palms went clammy. Like I just, I internally, I lost it. Something snapped because there was so much truth coming up for me in that moment. And the amount of resistance and denial told me there was something there, even if I didn't want there to be, it was just, and again, that's why I say like, I really choked on that pill because it started me on this journey, whether I wanted to be or not, because after that, it was either take the blue pill, look the other way, ignore it. It's just, that's what they think. Or I really dive into this. And it certainly became a journey of the latter, but I would not say that I just like went gung ho and dove into it. I think it really kind of started to find me and just opening myself up a little bit, you know, adjusting that dial. It, it just, that inertia caught me and it started, doors started to open and people started to reach out. And I started to get connected with the right folks who were able to kind of be with me at the right time along my journey. Yeah. And yeah. certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way and probably said some stupid stuff. So still am, still am. That's we have grace. Yes. Um, you, uh, it seems like it probably was there, the events and things in your life also led up to like when you watch that video, why you were able to be open at that point in time. As like yeah. you were saying earlier in the podcast, like Sometimes it's just someone's job to just plant the seed. And yeah. so probably planted seeds all along the way um, for you to start to be like, which is why I think it's so important that there's a white person in this role. Not that we would have had it any other way, but like <laughs> you understand that process and how to get other people to come along with. Whereas I we don't have the kind of patience and time to work with white people in that way because there's just too much else that we have to deal with as people of color so um i again i appreciate the way that you explain things and um from the perspective of someone who is um you know continually working at and be becoming more and more aware all along their journey um and i'm grateful that you are the person that leads this work on our team because i think that's what a lot of, a lot of white folks what they need yeah yeah, being able to resonate, I think, with the story and the narrative that you're, how you're explaining it. I never heard it in a way where you were talking about, like, it's so weird how our, your body internalized that as a threat, like that learning moment and that opportunity, like that is literally yes. flight or flight 
fight or flight response that you would have. And so being able to like lead people on like, you are not in actual danger. You are on a fragile. Yes. I was like, oh my God, I've never heard it. Like, oh, you were like in danger in your mind of like discovering that the world was racist. And I was like, oh my God, I've never heard it that way before. Yeah. I'm doing I, decades of identity development. You know, it's nothing too big. It's just. Yes. <laughs> but I'm, but I, I echo what Ray Dell said, or Dr. Ray Dell said of just like, being you in the role and the position that you have on like supporting people like understanding that because you know we're, we're doing it in another in another area and that's a lot it's a load <laughs> it's a big it's a big work um yeah. <laughs> yeah um well speaking of your role at TAF why did you want to be the Ally Engagement Program Manager with the Technology Access Foundation, co-founded by Trish Malanzico? Anything <laughs> well, else you can add, Sarah? <laughs> hosted at the Beth Day Community Learning <laughs> 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 yes. I'm, I'm going to answer that question with a question is why didn't I or why wouldn't I want to be Ally Engagement Program Manager? Um, you know, I... I think, I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think one of you just said, you know, I was grateful to have me in this role, but I would say I'm honored to be in this role. Um, you know, it's, for me, this is something that I, I do to the point of exhaustion. Um, when I say do, I mean, like, it is an active journey. It's constantly looking inward. It's constantly reflecting. It's constantly challenging myself. And yes, there's room for rest. I do need to do like self-care and gardening and all that stuff as well, because, I need to be grounded in what I do, but um, this was a chance for me to really think about how to actually effectively start to engage people in the conversation, to effectively really allow people to have that space to start to have those uncomfortable conversations and thoughts. Because the reality is, as you all said earlier, you have a limited bandwidth. You don't have to be the vessel for white people sharing their garbage. I'm going to use a very PC word. Um, <laughs> I have the space for that because I have that garbage. I've been through that garbage. I still have to listen to that garbage because it's so programmed into my mind. The main thing is just that I can work and walk through that journey with other white folks at this place because I, I've learned how to, um, to, to go to what Kathy was saying earlier, to kind of put those hands up a little bit over my heart, to not let it um, sink in and tug me back in. Um, there's, there's sort of that expression, to, you know, going behind enemy lines. Um, you know, it's, it's really kind of going behind the curtain of white supremacy on an individual basis. And just, again, thinking about this role as like, it is about engaging folks and doing that work. And, you know, I'm just excited to kind of see what that looks like and how that's going to develop, because I think that there is certainly a role for white folks in this. And that role is not to <laughs> um, pander and save and work with and get there and be there for folks of color. And yes, my wife is on a work call in the background. So she's having a great time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're talking about, but that's the Zoom uh, world. <laughs> um, I feel like I want to take sound bites from this conversation. And um, when white people say certain certain things, I just want to record <laughs> David's response to like, this is what I need you to be thinking about. This is what I need you to be working on. 
from a fellow white person. You're not there yet. You haven't arrived. <laughs> there is no arrival, Dr. Randall. You know this. Yes. <laughs> Don't tell them that, though. <laughs> you're right. We're going to make you effective allies, and you're going to be able to go out in the world and do no wrong. That's, that's it. Oh, I, yes, I need them to realize they have not arrived and never will. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's. There you go. Never. Um, well, thank you for um, sharing with us about your journey and why this role. The last question is a little bit of, of a fun question. And of course, it's about food. Um, but and this is a question that Sara and I answered, I think, in one of the very first podcasts, maybe the very first one about um, a food or a meal um, that nourishes you the most, that you love the most, that brings you the most joy and excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't exactly remember what I said, but it might have been fried chicken because I love it in so many ways. I love to eat it and cook it and season and flavor it in different ways. And it's just such a part of uh, my family and culture. And it is the reason why I will never, ever be a vegetarian because I will stop eating fried chicken. You did say fried chicken because I remember you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, serious about it. Uh, what you said? I feel like I said abgust, which is the Persian stew, but I want to change it now to horesh bottom jun, which is like, because now I know how to make it. My dad like revealed the recipe. I'm using air quotes because he just said like two thirds of the ingredients, no instructions, no measurements. And was like, here's the recipe. Here you go. Um, but <laughs> it is an eggplant chicken. I make it with chicken, but an eggplant stew that's cooked all day and just like gets all up in its juices and itself and it's served over rice and it's delicious. But for sure, the top, would I think, as I've said and will continue to defend in my cliche whiteness is a wood fire pizza. <laughs> it's just, it is, it is the one. I just, it takes me home. I've thought about buying one of those way overpriced way overpriced pizza ovens that you can get i haven't gotten it yet all right or even building one in the backyard I was that's the say, level about building one yes family built one yes yeah. we had that conversation and i did tell her i might want to get some plans for that so um it is it is it is really a food that just transports me and you know the toppings everything matters the texture it's all it's all about just getting that right combination um but, does your family in the u.s come from new york Brooklyn is my dad's side of the family. Okay. Like, like That's super u- uber Jewish neighborhood. Like, you know, the, the black hats pay us. Like, you know, you'd be out on the street and it's like every kid is Hasidic Jew. Um, and then my mom is actually from Kent. Like their family started a farmstead in Kent way back when, which is near, you know, kind of near Seattle. Oh, um, yeah. And then they just made their way slowly up to Renton and then up to Seattle. <laughs> Those are all our questions, David. You're done. Thanks for playing along. Yeah, I don't get one of those. What questions do you have from us? Kind of no, <laughs> that kind of party. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yes. What questions do you have for us, David? Yes. <laughs> no, that's that's it. I, I'm, I really, I really am. I'm loving it. This has been a good, a good talk. Yay! Yay! All right. Well. Thanks for joining uh, listeners on the Get to Know David.
David Goldencrantz portion of our podcast. Um, we look forward to all the work that he's going to do with our white leaders and fellow agitators. 